0: Exodus 33 is our text tonight, Exodus 33, and this is the text, the chapter, from which uh, this study, uh, we have uh, gotten the namesake for this study. Uh, We're calling this study the friend of God, or friend of God, which is referring to Moses, who is uh, really the quintessential friend of God in the Scriptures. He's called a friend of God. Um, And really, the last part of Exodus, the whole book of Numbers, minus all the Numbers, The whole book of Numbers and most of Deuteronomy is really the story of Israel's journey from Mount Sinai, the Promised Land, but really that story is told from a perspective Um, Of Moses walking hand in hand with God, of Moses being a friend of God. I want to talk a little bit about Moses up front. I want to talk about um, Moses's role, how it's changed over time, and how it leads us to this chapter tonight. So you'll know that we are introduced to Moses, and Moses is brought on the scene as Israel's deliverer. You could use Savior there, but I think, you know, I like to save Savior for Jesus, right? And deliverer, same word, same meaning. Um, But Israel's deliverer, um, he stood up, between them and Pharaoh, right? He delivered them from Pharaoh. He delivered them uh, across the Red Sea. He delivered them from Egypt. The story is called Exodus because it's about their exit from slavery. Moses is the deliverer of Israel, and we've seen that pretty, pretty front and center in the story. But now that they've got out of Egypt, now that they've come to Mount Sinai, received revelation from God, or headed to the Promised Land, he's still their leader, but they've really been delivered, so they're not really waiting to be saved from something. They've already been saved. Um, but now they're, they're following Moses, they're following God through the desert, but they've come across some tough times, and because of their sin and their, their, their flesh, they're in need of some help along the way. And, and this is when we are introduced to Moses the intercessor or Moses the advocate. Again, another name that we use for Jesus. Of course, all of these Old Testament heroes are pictures of Jesus. Moses, maybe more than anybody else, um, being the, the, the picture portrayal of the Messiah to come. He is Israel's advocate. Advocate is a legal word that means someone who stands between or stands before the judge, right, before us. Um, he is our lawyer. He is our d- uh, attorney. He is our advocate before God. Moses, over and over again, especially in the latter part of Exodus, throughout the book of Numbers, Moses is going to be seen standing in the gap between Israel and God before God. On behalf of Israel. Now at Mount Sinai, it was clearly defined that Israel was God's people. So this is not a question. Of, this is not Moses trying to win Israel over for God or winning, winning God over for Israel. This is. It's already been established. Israel are God's people. That's not going to change. It still hasn't changed, right? Israel belongs to God. They're saved by God. They're sealed. They're not. That's not going to change. But they were still people. Right. And because they were still people, that means they were still sinners. Right. So in their sin, they would be inclined to do some things that were not right. They would be inclined to do some things that were wrong and they were prone to wonder and they were prone to stumble. And as we've studied the book of Exodus, we've been introduced to um, this covenant that God made with Israel, and it's called the Sinai Covenant, often called the Mosaic Covenant. But the Mosaic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant, is a covenant between God and Israel that essentially can be summarized as, as a covenant to cover the gap between glory and sin. Now, if you remember back when in Exodus 19 and 20, when God revealed himself on the mountain the first time, they couldn't get close to the mountain because God's holiness and God's glory was so so bright and so powerful juxtaposed to their sin and their flesh, they had to get away right? Moses had to put a veil over his face all this tells the story of the glory of God meeting the sin of man and there being this gap in between and the Sinai covenant was a way of covering that gap and of course the covering refers to the blood that was applied on the holy, of on the altar, on the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies as a way of atoning, which is a word that means covering, as a way of atoning making one God and people. But the Sinai covenant was not a permanent covenant. We know this and we've studied this. It was a temporary covenant. Now, that doesn't mean it's not not part of God's word or God's will. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus came to do. But it was a temporary covenant, no longer in effect, God's step towards the whole world. So the temporary covenant at Sinai was a picture of God stepping, or, or was a picture of what God was going to do in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. God's first step toward the whole world, toward the rest of the world, was taken on Sinai. And through all this, he's establishing a nation, a nation to represent him on the earth. That's Israel, right? He established a nation to reveal his name, to reveal his nature. And reveal his intentions. We've seen the story of him revealing his name, that they would know that Yahweh is the one true God. The law reveals his nature. He's holy, we aren't, right? He's perfect, we're not. He's glorious, we're sinful. So we've seen sin defined. We've seen good defined. We've seen evil exposed. His name, his nature, but also his intentions have been revealed. His intentions, and his intentions as in the way he was pardoning Israel, he was going to pardon the whole world and provide a way of salvation to the whole world. Now, the entire system of the Sinai Covenant was based around sacrifice. Sacrifice, the, the two pillars of sacrifice are forgiveness and deliverance, forgiving us as the blood washes away what we've done wrong, but delivering us um, as in giving us the ability to do what is right, right? The animal died in our place so that we don't have to, but also inspiring us to get up and, and, and be different. But so all of this, all of this was a preview of something better, which Christianity, we Christians obviously know that, but we can still go back and learn from these stories and these accounts, right? We don't repeat the sacrifices, we don't go through the customs, but the Word is still the Word, the Bible is still God's Word, and these stories give us so much help, offer us so much help, as we follow God in our own, in, in this new way. In many ways, Moses is like Jesus in how he advocates, and how he intercedes for the people. In other ways, he's like Uh, us, right, Um, and and how we can become friends of God and learn to pray for and help those around us, those that aren't where we are and and whether they are where we should be or where we we used to be. We also can see ourselves in the people of Israel as well because the sin that was in them, it's still in us, right? Um, We've probably never made a golden calf, but we've probably done some things that, that somewhere on the level of equivalency, right? We've worshipped the wrong things. We've put our faith in the wrong things. We've turned from God in our own ways. All of us have. But the Scriptures speak clearly that these stories are an example for us, um, not just to learn what we shouldn't do, uh, but to also show us that on this side of history, we have been given true deliverance, right? That the cross forgives us of our sins in a way that the animal sacrifices never forgave anyone of anybody's sin, but not only that, we don't, have, we don't just have true forgiveness, but we have actual deliverance, right? That because Jesus rose from the dead, that spirit that rose him from the dead raises us up from our past, raises us up from our sin, gives us the ability to overcome and live a different life, right? What they, that's what they didn't have in the Old Testament. They just sinned and got forgiven, sinned and got forgiven, but they never got better, right? They had hope, but they didn't have help. But we have help through what Jesus has done. Of course, we aren't perfect, but in Christ, we find help from God to live differently. And that help is first and foremost found because God is with us, right? God's presence is within us, and God's presence goes before us and goes with us. So he's within us and he goes with us with us he guides us he orders our steps now this is going to be a big part of our story tonight so i wanted to talk about this uh, in in lead up to it uh as christians we know that god's always with us he doesn't just show up every once in a while doesn't just show up at church he does show up at church but he chose but it's better than that right he goes home with us he's with us all the time right god is with us always and 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 i want to talk about why he's with us because god has a purpose in everything right he's not just with us just to hang out and just to say yeah i'm here right he's with us because there's to be a difference between not having his presence and having his presence it makes things better right it makes us like him specifically God is with us to comfort create and call to comfort create and call now I want to make it very clear he's not just one of these things or he's not do, he's not with us just to do one of these things he's not just with us to critique us and correct us but never comfort us right that The idea that God is with us only to say, do this, do this, do this, do this, do better, do better, do better, that doesn't tell the whole story because God is not just with us to order us, he's with us to comfort us, he's with us to be the, to, to remind us that we, you know, even though we've messed up, he still loves us, right? He's not just with us to call and lead without first preparing and teaching, right? God is not just with you to say, you should do this and you should go there and you should do that and you should follow me here, he's with us to prepare us for that, right? He's with us to teach us why we should do that. He's not just with us to pat us and comfort us without also challenging and directing us. So if we believe in a God who only does one of these things, we've not got the whole story, right? Yes, He comforts. Yes, He creates, as in creates within us a new person. Yes, He calls. He does all of these things. But He doesn't just do one of these things. He's doing all three of these things with us at all times. God's presence is above all good. Protecting us, healing us, inspiring us. He doesn't just protect, he doesn't just heal, he doesn't just inspire, but he does all of those things. Now there are times in our life when we we ask we we're seeking one of these over the others, right? we're really seeking protection, we're really seeking healing, we're really speak, seeking inspiration, but we as Christian people ought to seek all of these things and not just focus on one side uh, of, of God's presence or one aspect of God's presence. In the in the aftermath of the sin of adultery, Moses intercedes for the people um, and he prays for God to spare them and punish him if retribution is required he says god i want you to punish me blot my name out of your book if it takes saving the rest of these people and his main part his main point in his prayer is god we don't want to lose what we felt at this mountain because we've experienced you in ways that we can never imagine, and I know they just made a golden cow, and I know they just worshipped it and did awful things in front of it, and they did. Just, just, I know that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense to me. It makes me angry for I broke the commandments. I'm sorry about that, God. I'll be back up in a little bit to get some more. But listen, God, I'm sorry. I'm praying for them, and if you've got to take somebody's life, take mine. Don't take theirs. But please don't leave us, was this whole point of his intercession. Now, God hears Moses' intercession, And he spares the nation. But the intercession would continue into the next chapter, specifically around the subject of God's presence. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind all that we've just talked about, God's presence, and how it applies to them, how it applies to us even more. As we go over this, as we talk about God's presence, consider this as we walk through this next chapter. So here verses 1 through 6 of chapter 33. And listen to Moses' intercession, and you'll understand why he's being so you understand how, why they respond the way they do when God says something to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to, to the land which I show you. I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Now, we've heard that before, haven't we? The reason why God, when God called Moses back in Exodus 3, he said, Moses, I want you to lead my people out of this place. You belong in Israel or the land of Canaan. I'm going to lead you there. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived there. I promised it to them. I promised it to y'all. I'm going to lead you, and we're going to bypass all the different people that are taking the land or live in the land now. So we've, we can establish that it was God's will from day one for Israel to live in the land he promised to them, right? No questions about that. But here comes a little bit of a curveball. I will send my angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst. What? I'm not going with you, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard the bad news... The bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. his Clothes, jewelry, all that stuff. And when the people heard the bad news, they mourned. No one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come, I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you should the children of Israel strip themselves of their ornaments by Mount Hareb." But the point of this is God says listen my commandments have not changed I expect y'all to get up and leave this mountain because y'all been here long enough But I just want to give you a little bit of a clarification or i'm going to change my story a little bit I'm, not going with you And all of a sudden that stops them in their tracks because this entire story has been predicated on god going with them, right? God's the reason they got out of egypt. God's the reason they got across the red sea God's the reason they had water to drink and had bread to eat and had quail to eat across the desert Now they're at this mountain and they're about to leave but god says oh by the way i'm not going with you See you later. I want to go over this because this is very important and we can easily get lost in this story if we don't take it slow and break it down. It was God's will. It was God's will for them to leave Sinai and make progress. So we, are, we know that, right? It was always God's will to leave the mountain and make progress. It's always God's will that we make progress. It was not God's will for them to ever be without him. Now, I say that and I'm not... I'm not misrepresentation misrepresenting the scripture the story's not done yet right so even though God said I'm not going with you I can say conclusively it was not God's will for them to ever be without him he never wanted them to be without him he did not want them to go without him but he was just telling them straight up hey I'm not going with you if y'all leave right now and I want you to leave right now so they're kind of in a bind aren't they I mean, God just said to leave, but God said, I'm not going with you. But God said we should go, but we don't want to go without God, but we've got to go because God said to go, right? So this is kind of a tight spot to be in, isn't it? It's important that we see these two facts, I think, at the same time. Leaving Sinai without God wasn't a good idea. We can agree on that, right? Going out into the desert not knowing where you're going for the first time ever without God was not a good idea. But staying at Sinai with him wasn't the right idea. So you could see why somebody would say, well, I guess we're just going to live this mountain forever. And we're God, we're God's, so God's all, He's obligated to take care of us. He's obligated to feed us. He's obligated to bring quail and manna and all the stuff that we need. So we really don't need to leave the mountain. I mean, you could see how they could turn this into, let's just stay at the mountain. Let's just live right here at the foot of this glorious mountain of God. Because leaving without him was not a good idea. But I got to say also, staying with him wasn't the right idea. The reason why they weep and they mourn is because they knew it was time for them to move. They couldn't imagine moving without him, though. But what were they to do? I mean, what would you do? You'd wait for Moses to tell you what to do, right? But what, would Moses, what was Moses to do, right? I want to talk about what they, could have, what they couldn't do and what we shouldn't do in similar, similar circumstances. Because I, I think this is really relevant for us today in our world and as a church. I want to take this and make it even more relative to us. What do we do when God says go and woe at the same time? What do you do when the Bible says you should do this, but all of a sudden your life, the way it's going right now, and you believe that God's with you and God's talking to you and God's guiding you, and God says to do something, but also the situation says that's not going to work. And you just feel worse when you read the Bible and the Bible says do it, but you can't do it, right? Now we've been there, right? And maybe in church preachers tell you not to preachers tell you that you don't have an excuse. But listen, I'm re- I'm, I'm I'm reasoning with you tonight cuz I know where you're at. I've been there, right? We're all where they were at. God says go and woe at the same time. When God's will and God's word is clearly leading us in a very defined, detailed direction, but God's spirit just isn't enabling it right now. I mean, the word says do it, the spirit says, "Uh-uh." The Word says, I want you to, but God's Spirit just isn't giving us the peace or the ability to. God's for it, but He's not in it. Now, that, shouldn't be, that should never be a reality, but it is, isn't it? Here's what I know we shouldn't do. We should never just sit and wait. <laughs> we should never just get comfortable and get idle, because that's easy to do. Our flesh doesn't need much an excuse to do that anyway, so we need to be careful how we respond to God in these sort of situations because we find ourselves here more than we realize. God's will for all of us, God's will for all of us is to obey him and to go forward for him in some capacity, in some way, shape, or form. God's will for all of us is that we obey and move and grow, overcome and fulfill. You can take those and generalize them in any aspect of your life. His will for you is always to obey. Always to move and to grow, overcome and fulfill, but that doesn't always mean that it's possible, right? And sometimes even though we know what the Word says to do, we just don't really feel like it's actually something we can do. And if God's Spirit was with us or God's Spirit was in it, he would make it possible, right? That makes sense to me. But there are situations we find ourselves in, usually because of some personal gaps or some situational setbacks, wherein God's Spirit isn't in it in some way, shape, or form. And I think this is so relevant for Christians, and I think this is so relevant for the church. As Christians, we have a Bible in front of us that says love, give, serve, obey, do, go, grow, overcome, right? That never changes. You can't read the New Testament without hearing the commandment to love and give and go and grow and do and overcome. And sometimes you're sitting in church and the message is about doing and growing and obeying and overcoming. And you're just sitting there thinking, I want to do that stuff, but I just can't right now. Sometimes there are things that seem to be preventing us from doing these things, right? Opportunities aren't showing up. Things aren't working out. People aren't cooperating with us, making things more difficult, actually. Does that mean that God says, oh, don't worry about it? Of course not, right? Same thing for the church. The New Testament makes it clear the church is meant to go and grow and give. But sometimes we go and we don't grow. Sometimes there are people who don't want to go. Sometimes we aren't able to give or do things that make a difference. Does that mean that we just forget about it and close up and ride things out? Of course not. But I know what you're thinking. (laughs) What do we do then? That's a good question. We do what Israel did. When God told them it's time to move, but oh, by the way, I'm not moving with you. They fell on their faces and said, God, if you're staying right here, but you're telling us to move farther, we're going to look at you and we're going to pray to you. We're going to seek you. We're going to turn our hearts towards you. And we're going to just make it very clear to you that this breaks our heart. See, I think the problem is a lot of times we find ourselves kind of confused and, and frustrated, but we don't ever follow through with actually seeking the Lord thinking that he can overcome this conundrum, overcome this problem, because this is, a, really, this is a, pretty dip, a pretty bad fix they found themselves in. But most of us just say, well, I guess that's how it's going to be, and we just let the flesh win. We let sin kind of just take it and just run with it. We don't go to God like they did and say, Lord God. Lord God, it breaks our heart that we can't fulfill your word right now. When's the last time that you got on, you, you got on your face at night and said, Lord, I wanted so badly to make a difference for you today. It just didn't work out. God, I wanted so badly for something to be different at church today. I wanted so badly for somebody's life to be changed. It just didn't happen. It breaks my heart. And God, I'm, I'm praying this because I don't want to get complacent. I don't I'm not blaming you and Lord I don't want to really feel bad about myself. I'm just saying it breaks my heart. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to just stand still. I want to move for you. I don't know what's holding things up. It might be me. It might be you. It might be something I don't understand. I'm seeking you that it can be fixed and removed because I know your will is to move forward. And I know that your will is that we shouldn't move forward without you. I don't know how that's going to get reconciled, but I know it's not going to fix itself, so I'm seeking you. That is, a, that is not what you want to hear, right? That's not a step A, step B, step C, it's fixed. That's a messy prayer to pray. That's a messy place to be, but that's the most place we find ourselves. See, sometimes the problem isn't, is that God is willing. Sometimes we're just not looking. There are plenty of opportunities for us to love and give and serve every day. We just don't got to go out of our way to look for it sometimes, do we? Some things for the church, sometimes we just get complacent. But here's what I want to say tonight. If something is preventing progress in your walk with God, let it make you more determined to worship and grow. Don't give up. Even though this makes no sense to me, that there would ever be a situation where God says go and woe at the same time. What I come, what I conclude, what I fi- where I come to from this text is if something's preventing you from moving forward, let it make you more determined to worship and grow than ever. Just don't give up. It could be that God is using this just to draw you closer to Him. It could be that God is using this to draw you in and draw you out. God maybe allowed some bad news to direct you to better news. You hear that? They said, God, this is bad news. He said, I know it's bad news. I gave it to you. But could it be that God let you get some bad news because He wants to get your attention focused on better news? Could it be that God allowed you to encounter that roadblock and He allowed you to stop in your tracks? Could it be that that bad news from the doctor, that job that didn't come through, that deal that didn't close, that phone call that you didn't get, that relationship that fell apart, could it be that that was not something God was using to break you, He was using it to make you better. He was using it to get you focused on something even better than the good that could have came out of that. See, there are things that make you want to give up. There are things that make us want to lose hope. But God's actually working through those things to build us up and draw us, up, draw us in to create an enduring spirit within us. See, if you feel like you're getting mixed signals from God, because this is what this is, if you feel like you're getting mixed signals from God, we need to prioritize getting close to Him to hear Him clearly. Because if, if the phone call is breaking up and you think you heard go and woe at the same time, we need to say, okay, I don't know what's going on, but I need to get as close to Him as I can. I need to hear Him clearly, and I need to make sure I know what's going on. Because this doesn't make sense to me. It breaks my heart that somehow, way, our progress has stopped. But I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to keep moving forward. And I know I can't go too far, but I can get as close to him as I can. See, this isn't really exciting or energizing because it doesn't really show results instantly. But this is where God actually shows up to us. Verses 7 through 11 kind of tells us the, inner, the inner interim of their time at the, as they were waiting. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, called it the tabernacle of meeting. It came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out of the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out of the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and each man stood at the tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. It came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of a cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. We don't know what they talked about. We don't know how many times they did this. It could have been every Saturday morning, every Saturday night, because the Sabbath, right? It could have been every Wednesday night for years and years and years. We don't know. But that didn't stop him from doing it. Every opportunity he got, he was in the place worshiping, talking to God. God was talking to him. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. All the people rose up and worshiped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend he would return to camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. So Joshua said, Moses, I know you got to go back and put those people, get those people to not be so worried and not be so scared. I'm not leaving. Can you imagine how dedicated it wants to be been for this guy, this kid? I'm not leaving because I got to, if some, somebody's got to stay, somebody's got to be as close, somebody's got to continue to seek him. See, what they did when God said go and woe at the same time is they worshiped him and they sought him and they prayed to him all the time. Even though they didn't know what God was doing, what God, where God was going with this, they just said, listen, we know that God's good. We know that he loves us. We know that God's going to work this out. We know that God's going to clear this fog. So we are just going to keep our eyes on him, keep talking to him, keep praying the same prayer over and over and over again. He can get tired of hearing it. I, if he wants to, I'm not going to stop praying it. I'm going to continue to seek him until something changes. How many of us are that determined to do that? We pray Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, it hadn't happened, and we're done, right? And I'm not picking on y'all, that's me, right? I make this resolution, I'm going to pray every little, every little bit, every day, every hour, or whatever, and it doesn't happen all the time, right? Because we don't see the results, and we give up. But they kept praying, and they kept seeking. Remember Abraham, when he pled with God about Sodom? God said, I'm going to blow this place up, because it's awful and evil, and they're doing terrible things, and they're doing, they're, it's, it's too bad for me to even let the people that are innocent live. And Abraham said, God, that's not you. That's not you, God. What if there's 50 50 righteous people down there? And God says, well, I guess for 50 righteous, I'll spare the whole place. And he says, well, what if there's only 45? And he says, well, 45, I'll spare the whole place. What if there's only 20? Well, for 20, I'll spare the whole place. What about 10? I'll spare the whole place for 10. What if there's only two people, five people down there that's righteous? Will you at least get them out before you punish them? Yeah. Yeah. I'll do that. Now that tells me, if you read the, if you read the beginning of the story, that, does that mean that God ever intended to blow the place up when Lot was there? No. But had Abraham not had that conversation, we don't know what would have happened. Right? And, ha- and if we don't pray and we don't seek his face, we don't know what might happen or not happen that wasn't supposed to happen. Remember this story? Maybe you haven't read it in a while. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. This was a Gentile woman. Tyre and Sidon were modern-day Sodom and Gomorrahs. She comes to him saying, Lord, please have mercy on my daughter. She is severely oppressed by a demon. And someone in the crowd probably said, of course she has a demon. You're a Sidonite. You're you're from Tyre. You're a Canaanite. But he did not answer her. Can you imagine? Jesus ignored the woman. His disciples begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. She's She's annoying us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I highlighted the dots to make it very clear. The story wasn't over. So don't read that verse and think, well, I guess he didn't want to help the woman. There's more to the story. The story goes on. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. He doesn't help her. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, that, didn't, that actually did the opposite of helping her. That insulted her. But she says, uh-huh, I'm not giving up. Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumb that fall off their master's table. I'll take whatever you give me, Lord. Oh, woman, great is your faith. What if she had never had the conversation with him? then her faith wouldn't have been great. And it wouldn't have been done as she desired. But because she didn't give up, her daughter was healed instantly. After spending time in worship and seeking God's perfect will, Moses goes to God. And in closing, look at verses 12 through 17. Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know when you will send with, who you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know by my name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. So here's what Moses does. God, you've put me in a box. You tell me that you have chosen us. You tell me that you love us. You tell me that we're your people, but you also tell me you're not going to go with us, but you told me that we should leave. God, this is confusing. It's okay to go to God and say, this makes no sense. But what does God answer him in verse 14? My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses, I know that you are as confused. I know your heart's racing. I know you're wearied. I have heard you. I have seen you worship. I have watched you pray. I have heard your prayers. My presence will go with you. And Moses said, if your presence is not going to go with us, don't bring us up from here. For, not, for how then? will I know that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us. So we shall be separate, your people and I, for all the people who are upon the face of the earth... So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. God says, Moses, don't worry. I am going to go with you. What changed? They got closer. That's the magic. That's the secret sauce of the story. They kept talking to God even though he wasn't talking back to them. They kept crying out to God even though they weren't immediately getting answers from God. Again, this isn't a story that gets a lot of airtime and a lot of attention. This isn't something that makes us just stand up and shout. But it ought to make us bow down and pray. To get where God wants us to be, to get where God wants us to be, we need to get closer to God. That's the, that's the end-all, be-all, that's the best I can give you. See, it was never God's intention for them to leave Sinai without him. It was never God's will for them to leave without his presence. It was never God's desire for them to be without him. It's never God's desire for us to be without him. Whenever, if if there are any gaps in our progression, it's almost always a sign that we need to move closer, we need to be more brave, and we need to be more bold. It's all about drawing us closer than ever before. The solution is never to give up or fall back or become complacent. God doesn't prevent or punish. He does it to prepare us. As believers, we need to seek his face. Just like the prayer from Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face. You know why it says seek my face? Because you can't get closer than somebody's face, can you? It's most uncomfortable that I can ever be to somebody when they get really close to me, right? And God says, I want you to get that close. Then I'll hear. Then I'll forgive. Then I'll heal. Verse 14, when God says, my presence will go before you, the Hebrew word there is my face will be close to yours. Can you get any closer? That's the point. God doesn't want to lead us from afar. He wants to be even closer. Even closer. Church, that's what I believe God is saying to us in any, in any and every circumstance that we find difficult. There's always room to get closer to me. And when you get as close as you need to be, then you'll be right where I want you to be. It's like when the early church prayed for boldness, prayed for God to lay his hand on them and move in a mighty way. Listen, Jesus has called us his friends We can't quit. We can't give up. If we seek Him, we will find Him. But are you willing? Are you willing to seek Him like never before? Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Lord, we come to you like the disciples did in the early days when they had done so much for you, yet they believed there was still more to do. And they said, Lord, consider the threats of the world pour out your power upon us that we may continue to speak your word with all boldness lay your hand upon this place and shake the foundation that we might continue to be a witness and a testimony for you Father, I pray that you might would move in our midst like you did at Mount Sinai, Lord, but if we find ourselves in a conundrum of we think we should go, but we shouldn't go and we don't know what to do, we come to you like Moses did and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm just seeking your face like never before. Week after week, day after day, hour after hour, Lord, let us be as resilient as that Canaanite woman who said, I'm not giving up, I'm not giving in, I'm not quitting, I'm going to keep praying. Help us to be resilient, help us to be focused help us to not give up even though it may feel like the right thing to do father thank you for this challenge thank you for the reminder that you are with us you are for us help us father to not forget you that we might would seek your face and that your presence might go with us like never before we ask all of this in Jesus' name amen